Many Americans first became aware of Nicaragua in the 1980s when the country was targeted by the Reagan administration. What was it about this Central American banana republic that got under the skin of a superpower? Hi, I'm Rick Steves. It's been several years now since Daniel Ortega's socialistic policies and anti-American rhetoric riled things up here in the United States, and I've had the unique opportunity, both during that time and more recently, to visit Nicaragua in person and get the local side of the story. Nicaragua charms its visitors. It's a uniquely quaint, off-the-beaten-path destination. Randall Wood is the author of a comprehensive guidebook to visiting Nicaragua. He joins us in a few minutes. There's, a, I think, a level of attention and interest in Nicaragua that we haven't had for as long as I've been writing. This time, it's Nicaragua on Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. Randall Wood joins us to take your calls about Nicaragua in just a few minutes. Before Randy takes us to Managua, let's start this edition of Travel with Rick Steves with your itineraries at 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. Or you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. We got Vincent on the line in Honolulu. Hi, Vincent. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing fine. So what kind of travel uh, issues are on your mind? Okay, you know, I'm from Hawaii, and I'm planning to go to Europe, but there's such, it's such a long haul, and I'm thinking of flying either to Chicago or New York, rest for a couple of days, recover from the jet lag, and then fly on another eight hours to Europe so I can be a little bit more refreshed than just flying nonstop direct. To recover from this jet lag, would you say it's like one or two days in Chicago or New York to rest and recuperate? Have you ever dealt with jet lag before, Vincent? I have, but I haven't gone as far as Europe. I mean, I've gone to the U.S. mainland and East Asia, but... So it's like five hours or something? Um, to, to the West Coast, it's five hours. To the East Coast, it's about nine hours. And how did you handle that? Was it... I just went direct. Were you suffering for five days, or did you get over it in a couple of days? I think I got it over in a couple of days. Because jet lag affects different people with a different sort of uh, ferocity, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, some people, you know, some farmer who's done the same thing all his life, every day exactly up with the crack of dawn and so on, boy, he's going to have a tough time adjusting when he gets over there. But if you've uh-huh. lived a life where you've uh, rolled with the uh, body clock punches mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not going to be... Uh, I mean, it's going to be an issue, but you're, it's not going to be devastating. And frankly, unless you want to see New York or see Chicago, if you're going to Europe, I would just go there direct. Uh, it's going to cost you more to stop over, I believe. Right, it would. It cost it you would. quite a bit more. And uh-huh. I, I would invest that money in a nicer hotel for your first stop in Europe, uh-huh. and I would sleep on the flight, and uh-huh. I would remember that jet lag hates bright light, fresh air, and exercise. Uh, on uh-huh. my first day in Europe, I get out, and I'm just busy. And I'm walking uh-huh. and walking and doing activities, and uh-huh. I make myself stay awake until a reasonable local bedtime. Now, granted, I'm nine hours different from the West Coast of the United States, and, and uh-huh. you're like more. But I, I think from my body's point of view, nine hours or 12 hours, it's, it's just it's a drag either way. You've mm-hmm. got to kick your body into European time. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get to Europe, flip your wristwatch ahead. Psychologically, you're on European time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll wake up wired at 4 o'clock that first morning, and that's just sort of the nature of the beast. But if you force yourself into European time, I would bet by day two or three you'll be you'll be 90% good. Uh, but if you are wimpy about that, like mm-hmm. I was on a recent trip to Amsterdam, I went over mm-hmm. there and I never really forced myself on because it was just a little four-day trip and I never really adjusted. And it was really quite a disaster for my, my uh, schedule when I was over there. I mm-hmm. didn't force myself into European time schedule. Uh-huh. On my last trip, I had stuff I had to do that first day. And uh-huh. I was out all day long and I slept reasonably well that first night and I was all right. Mm-hmm. Um, remember the... Uh, you want to leave home well rested. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's stressful to to change like mm-hmm. that. And if you're if you're exhausted and stressed out before your trip, chances are you're going to have a cold by the time you get to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flight, it's a long flight, especially from Hawaii. Uh-huh. Sixteen hours, I think, oh, or more man. than that. You're going to want to make a point to get up and walk around. You know, uh-huh. get some exercise on the plane. Try to sleep through the movies. Drink a lot of liquids, but no alcohol or caffeine. When the pilot says what time it is in London or wherever you're landing, shift your wristwatch, end your mind to that time, and mm-hmm. then uh, have a very active first day. 
uh, and I think you'll be all right. But I certainly would not try to minimize the problem by giving yourself three days less in Europe and three days more in America if you want to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because if it's a 16-hour flight, I, you know, I hope to recover as quickly as possible. Yeah. Now, somebody just told me uh, there's different sleeping pills and so on. A- Ambien. There's a, there's a sleeping pill called... Ambien. Am- okay. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but I've never taken it. And people say it really works well. A lot of professionals who fly in mm-hmm. have to deal with that, mm-hmm. uh, sleep very well with that. Now, my problem is I'm always able to stay awake until 10 o'clock in here, but I wake up at 3 or 4 in the morning and I'm wired, and mm-hmm. then I'm still a little bit messed up the next mm-hmm. day. With this Ambion or some sort of a, an effective sleeping pill, apparently it gives you a, a good solid eight hours of sleep on your first night. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's, the, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Doctors routinely prescribe it to people who have to travel. Okay. Do you know if... Like, I don't want to make my airline reservations way in advance, but you think 30 days notice would be okay to make an airline reservation and hopefully find a good low fare? It depends on when you're flying and uh, what the demand is. A lot of times the cheap flights will be booked out long before uh-huh. that, and they will have more expensive seats available at that time. Mm-hmm. In other times of year, it, it won't be a problem at all. I would go with the advice of a living, breathing travel agent for that kind okay. of a question. Yeah. All right, because I'm thinking either the spring or the fall when it's not too busy. Yeah, spring and fall is great because it's hot and it's crowded in Europe, okay? Yeah, okay. Good luck. Thank and you so uh, much, I, I, I think you can, uh, a lot of people get psyched out by jet lag, but you'll do fine. Just remember, jet lag hates bright light, fresh air, and exercise. Okay. 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 And it's probably the only morning in Europe you'll be up with the crack of dawn. Get out there and watch them set up the marketplace, okay? Okay, fine. Good Thank luck. Thank you, Rick. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Julie in Seattle emails us. I was on a work abroad program right after college in Dublin, Ireland. I got sick about three months into my four-month stay. I didn't know where to go for treatment and terrified that my last $400 would be spent on an emergency room visit and that I'd have to go home early. Turns out, I wandered into a maternity hospital. They showed me the way to an emergency room, and the Irish National Healthcare System treated me with antibiotics for the equivalent of $25. U.S. As an American, I was impressed by the European system. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK. And you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. And even if you can't join us on the air about today's topic, you can continue the discussion with your questions, stories, and comments by using the message boards on our website. It's all in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Lori's on the line in Escondido, California. Hi, Lori. Hi, Rick. Thanks for your call. Well, I um, have spent some time on your website looking at some of your guidebooks, and I've noticed that you have quite a bit of coverage in Eastern Europe, but very little mention of Romania. That's right. And I wanted to tell you about a trip, uh, several trips I've taken to the Transylvania region. Oh, interesting. I'd love to learn more about Romania. For a strange place. (laughs) Yeah. I have actually gone to Romania three different times to work in some orphanages, and help with some of the local community efforts, and um, all three times have been in the Transylvania region and the city of Tergovista, which was the capital of Romania during what we know as the legend of Dracula's mm-hmm. reign in the 14th century. It's so interesting to hear the Romanian story of who the Americans know as Dracula. Let's hear about that, yeah. It's interesting. You ask the Romanian people about this this person that the Americans know as this horrible... Vlad the cre- Impaler, right? ...creature, exactly, Vlad the Impaler. And to the local Romanians, he's a hero. He saved their country. <laughs> and America and Hollywood has created such a different persona hmm. of of Dracula. And I've walked through the ruins of his Capitol building and been up to the top of one of the towers that he built, just to see the the love that the Romanian people have for uh, Vlad. For Vlad. Wow. Yeah. Now, let's, let's get people straightened out here. We're talking about Romania, and there's, of course, Bucharest, which is the big, I think, rather nondescript capital city. Yes. And then And then you head up into the mountains, and these are the Transylvanian mountains, mm-hmm. and you've got some beautiful enclaves of German, old German societies there, Sigishora and some of these old medieval sort of Rotenburgy kind of towns. And then there's a castle called Bran Castle, right? B-R-A-N. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. that's the fairy tale Dracula Castle uh, that every all the tourists go to. Is that actually legitimately the Dracula Castle? No. <laughs> no, there was another... that 
It is known as the Dracula Castle because there's a lot of... Um, it's the only tourist attraction in the country, basically. A, right. There's a museum there with a lot of his his items. From what I understand, I've not been there. Fangs. But his home is actually a tiny little home built in a valley between some mountains so that he could watch if anyone was coming. Okay. <laughs> and no one really knows where that is. There are pictures from very far away of it, but no one really knows where that is. Lori, if you were um, advising somebody who doesn't know anything about Romania and they want to check it out because it's just a big mystery to them and they had one week, how would you spend a week in Romania? I would tell them to find a host family, to go stay with a family uh, in Romania and see how they live and see how they work. Instead of doing the the big tourist cities, to go to one of the smaller cities outside of Bucharest. Uh, good advice. Are there host uh, families that are open to having foreigners all come in? All over, all over. Every time I went, I stayed with host families, and the Romanian people are so loving of American people, and they just they wow. really want to learn about the American culture and the American way and ask a lot of questions about our politics and our economy and just very loving people. Now, when I was elsewhere in the Balkans, uh, in uh, Yugoslavia in the old days and in uh, Bulgaria more recently, coming into town, I would literally have people on their bicycles next to my car yelling in the window, bed and breakfast, you know, you can stay yes. at my house. Do you have that kind of uh, eagerness to get people to come in and just to, for them to get a few bucks and uh, share their house with you? Well, we when I went, I usually went with groups of 20 to 30 people. Okay. So we were on. We would get into a tour bus together and and you know be escorted away by our the person taking care of us, the Romanian person taking care of us. So I think we had a little bit different experience. Okay, but you were there dealing with orphanages and social yes. issues and so on, and yes. you were actually there to help out. Oh yes. Powerful yes. experience, I would imagine. It was, and being if I'm a photographer as well, and being a photographer hmm. in these untouched hills, very non-touristy. <laughs> Being in these untouched places was a wonderful opportunity. So how would somebody uh, find out about one of these organizations where they could work and, and contribute? Well, we went through, our group went through a group called Mission Connection, and we work mostly in the area of Trigoviste, which is um, it's a pretty good-sized city. It's about an hour's drive from Bucharest. So are these mostly church groups then that are connecting with communities over there? Okay, good. Plenty of opportunities to do that, and uh, really quite a mystery in Romania, and I hear nothing but happy uh, reports as far as how welcoming and warm the people are if you have a chance to travel in Romania. Oh, yes. All right, Lori, thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Uh-huh, bye now. Bye-bye. Vincine from Texarkana, Texas, emails us, On our first day in Rome, we happened upon a group of dark-suited men with phones preparing to block a major street we are walking along for what appeared to be some sort of parade. Turns out the Pope was going to be in the procession that afternoon. Being a cradle Catholic, I was thrilled to wait two hours to see our new Pope, along with a beautiful procession of priests, nuns, and other Roman notoriety. What a wonderful travel surprise, even if we didn't get in at the Vatican Museum the next day. Mucho más about Nicaragua. Coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. 877-333-RICK or radio at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
877-333-RICK or radio at ricksteves.com. That's how you reach us at Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves. I want to take you to Nicaragua. Tourists, jungles, gorillas, developing country, a sort of buzz. A lot of people are getting excited about going to Nicaragua, and I've got on the line a man who's written a guidebook to Nicaragua, Randall Wood. Randall, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rick. Pleasure to be here. You've uh, got a a lot of experience in Nicaragua. I I read from your biography, uh, five years there as an agronomist. What is that? Uh, Soil science, basically. I went as a Peace Corps volunteer in 1998, thinking it was going to be a two-year tour, and I've sort of been there ever since. And you fell in love with one of the locals? I sure did. Uh, Her name is Erica. We've been married uh, four years now, and we spend about half our time in Washington, D.C., and half our time in Nicaragua. Wow. And you've got a master's degree in development economics. That's correct. How does that relate to your work in Nicaragua? Well, indirectly, uh, it relates to everything I do. I still work in the field of development, but I think the, the studies have helped me see Nicaragua in a new light and really appreciate some of the changes that have happened there over the past eight to ten years. Boy, talk about a, a fascinating country to be uh, focusing on for a travel destination. It's right next to Costa Rica, where everybody goes. Costa Rica is just sort of the slam dunk for Central America. And in your book, you call Nicaragua the black sheep of Central America. What do you mean by that? Well, we mean that uh, the Civil War in Nicaragua ended 15 years ago, but it's really fallen off the map since then. It's not a classic tourist destination, and it's not even one of the first places that people think about when they think about going to Central America. And yet it's got an awful lot to offer, and the travelers that we've spoken to that have been there, um, and certainly ourselves, we've all had a great time there. We think it's, it's got a lot to offer, and just isn't getting the attention that it deserves. I've been there twice, Randall, and I went twice on educational tours to learn about the political and economic situation and, and the strife and the Civil War and all that, and I found it to be a fascinating travel experience. But for most people, they're looking for a fun a Central American getaway. If somebody has no interest in the politics and so on, do you still think Nicaragua can compete with Honduras and uh, Costa Rica and Panama? Absolutely. Um, it's got more cloud forest than anywhere else in Central America. It's got some great beaches. It's got a number of uh, colonial towns that are fun to be in, and it's got a tourist scene that's still kind of laid back, but uh, it's, it's growing in excitement every year. So is there actually a, a tourist industry there? When I was there, there was not a hint of tourism. Well, you know, when I was there in the beginning, there wasn't much tourism either. I got there in 1998, and people were still just trying to get by. Peace Corps workers, that was about it. Exactly. Well, it's come a long way since then, and there's a growing number of hotels, there's good restaurants, and the Nicaraguan people really see tourism, and particularly ecotourism, as a a valuable and, and profitable future. Now, Nicaragua is the largest, the lowest, and the poorest of Central American nations. Is it still poor? It's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Only Haiti is poorer. But you don't sense desperation. There aren't people uh, following you around begging for change. It's a really vibrant uh, people, and they're really lifting themselves up by their bootstraps and and looking towards a brighter future. So it is poor, but it's not desperate. You know, I felt that there because they've got this, you know, there's, we're in America, we're kind of paranoid about communism and socialism and all this kind of thing. But there's something to the indigenous people in Central America that is comfortable with a, more of a socialistic sort of way to uh, organize their society. In Nicaragua, I felt that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Latin America on the whole has been more comfortable with socialism than we have in the Northern Hemisphere. And certainly these days we're seeing a shift to the left uh, politically throughout the region. But um, I think Nicaraguans are realists at heart. They are certainly capitalists, and they they definitely know how to do business. And I think it's largely to that mentality and that mindset that there have been so many changes over the past 10 years. You know, the war ended in uh, 1990, and it's it's been just a, a complete makeover since then. Does that mean globalism has just hit it hard? I don't think it's globalism. I think it's people just looking for opportunities to to improve their lifestyle. When I say when I say globalism, I was just in El Salvador, and in El Salvador now they've got they don't even have their own coins anymore. They've got American quarters and dollars and nickels and dimes, and there's a Wendy's and a Dunkin' Donuts on every uh, street corner. Uh, do you find does Nicaragua have its own money, or are they dollarized now? No, no, the, their currency is the Cordoba, mm-hmm. uh, named after the one of the first Spanish settlers. Um, the Cordoba is trading these days at about 17th of a dollar. Uh, so it's, Nicaragua is still a very good deal. Hmm. As 
far as American fast food goes, there's an increasing number of restaurants, but it certainly doesn't look like an American strip mall. Um, and the, the McDonald's or the Burger King that has been able to penetrate the Capitol really does sort of stand alone at this point. I'm talking with Randall Wood, who's the author of The Moon Handbook to Nicaragua. It's out in its second edition. Uh, when you travel anywhere, you need a good guidebook, and this book is right up to date, and Randall has married into the culture, and he knows it very well. In your book, Randall, you say that uh, this book is best for travelers who find a lack of tourist infrastructure a plus. Uh, apparently, there's challenges that a traveler will face in a country that doesn't have that uh, developed of an infrastructure. What do you mean, how can a traveler find the lack of infrastructure a plus? Well, what we're finding is that a growing number of people that had intended to go to Costa Rica or did go to Costa Rica are bored by having their hand held the whole time. Uh, you can go to Nicaragua and get off the beaten track just about immediately. You're not going to find sort of quaint towns that have been groomed for tourists. You're going to find towns that are quaint because that's what they are. Hmm. Um, and you can very much sort of just appreciate the culture for what it is without feeling like it's been turned into some sort of a... Uh, a groomed Disney World type attraction. Right. So it's uh, you could probably liken it to the difference between Eastern Europe and uh, Western Europe. I would. Costa I Rica would. might be Western Europe where the public transportation runs on time, people speak English, everything works smoothly. And go to the East and things are still a little rough edge, a little more challenging, but certainly doable, certainly safe, and in a lot of ways more intimate and rewarding. Well, you said it with the word safe, too, you know? Uh, compared to most North American cities, and even compared to the rest of Central America, Nicaragua was a really safe destination. Hmm. In eight years, uh, nothing has happened to me at all, knock on wood. You're really not in the risk. You don't really risk uh, violent crime. You are probably at no more risk of something like a, uh, having your pocket picked. Mm -hmm. uh, but, when I went there, it was so bad. The, the, this is in early 90s. The people were scavenging the sewer lids off of the streets so that there was these holes and you just fall right into the right through the streets, and uh, there was not much lighting. It felt kind of scary. Uh, apparently, they're well beyond that now. They are. There's still the occasional uh, missing manhole cover. We like to call them gringo traps. Gringo uh, traps. You yeah. don't know where to, if you're walking around at night, uh, you'll fall right through a gringo trap. And who knows where you'll wind up. Uh -huh. But um, Eric and I were down in January of uh, 2006 after having not been there for a little over a year. And just in that year, we saw tremendous change in the capital. For example, there's a BMW dealership, which was, would have been unheard of 10 years ago. Right. Uh, there really are a lot of changes. Now, I've got a lot of emails, and people are concerned about the safety, so let's talk a little bit about this. For instance, uh, Sarah in Williamsburg, Virginia writes, uh, My husband and I are undecided about sending our 16-year-old daughter on a missionary trip to Nicaragua. She's traveled in Mexico safely and comfortably, but they don't know how safe or unsafe a trip to Nicaragua might be. Randall, how would you um, counsel people who are a little concerned about sending— a lot of these people are sending their kids on educational or missionary trips to Nicaragua. Well, um, you know, living in a, a North American city these days, I can tell you that uh, Nicaragua is an awful lot safer than a place like Washington, D.C. You're in very little risk of violent crime. Um, you do have to be careful, as travelers do anywhere, to not wear a lot of flashy jewelry or, uh, you know, travel too late at night or so on. Using just uh, basic common sense, it's a, a very safe place, and it's even safer than its neighbors. Uh, on the level of Central America, Nicaragua is, to, to date, Knock on wood, the safest country. Is that right? Statistically, Nicaragua is, you're not, I mean, of course, you, you love Nicaragua and, and you've married a Nicaraguan woman, and, uh, but you think actually statistically, from an unbiased point of view, Nicaragua is actually safer than its neighbors. That's correct. The statistics prove it in terms of violent crime. Right. Well, you live in Washington, D.C., so I mean, I would think you're much safer to head south. Uh, that's, that's absolutely correct. We've got Stephen on the line in Cordova, Tennessee. Hi, Stephen. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Uh, I will be flying into Honduras at Tegucigalpa and going down to Matagalpa. And um, I am curious about the border crossing, how difficult it is, and um, what kind of things should I expect. Stephen, I think you're going to have a great time in Matagalpa. First of all, that's coffee country. It's a little higher up, and the weather's a little cooler, a very nice place to spend time. Um, you ought to rely on about 45 minutes to cross the border. You don't okay. need anything more than your passport and, I think, $5. Okay. Uh, there's going to be a line, but uh, with the exception of being bored while you wait online, it's pretty smooth sailing. So what's, what's the line for, Randall? Are people doing uh, bureaucracy or what? Oh, it's just not enough clerks serving too many people crossing the border. Do you need a visa to go to Nicaragua? No, you'll be granted um, a tourist visa for three months at the border. 
All right, Stephen, does that answer your question? Yes, sir, it does. I really appreciate it. Good luck right. to you, Stephen. Have a good day. Bye. And we got Deborah on the line in Dallas. Hi, Deborah. Hi. And what's on your mind? Well, I, I was a Peace Corps volunteer back in the olden days in Nicaragua in, the, in 1975, and um, I'd like to bring my husband back. He's never been there, and so we're hoping for a trip in another year or two. And I was just wondering about, um, I have some food allergies now, so I'm wondering what's available locally as far as food items. I have a wheat allergy, so, and I'll try to be trying to find some brown rice. Um, and I also wanted to know if, if all the tiendas and pulperias always have bottled water in all of the smaller villages? Okay, I'll answer the water question first, Deborah. and you can certainly find bottled water everywhere. Um, even the locals drink it in some places, so you don't have to worry about that. Great. Um, most travelers carry a water bottle around and just refill it as they go so they don't have to worry about uh, making it to the next town, but you certainly won't have any trouble even in the, the farther out villages. As for food, uh, Nicaragua has come a long way, even in the past five years. Uh, my wife and I were just down there in January of '06, and in the major supermarkets you can get pretty exotic things these days. Um, even in the restaurant scene, you can get things like sushi these days. So it's, it's really pretty complex, and there's enough expats living down there now. There are you know, increasing the demand for their, their favorite foods back home that you can get some pretty exotic stuff. I'm, I don't think you would have too much trouble finding brown rice. And there's certainly a lot of substitutes for wheat down there. I think you'll be okay. Great. Are there any kind of homestay programs that you know of, or are there um, some places where it would be easy to rent an apartment for a week or a house? I'm sure you can rent a place both in Managua and in uh, Granada and probably San Juan del Sur. Okay. There are a growing number of homestay programs connected to language learning uh, programs. So they expect you to come down and, and take Spanish classes, and that they provide you with a family to live with while you're doing so. Right. Any any one of them, I'm sure, would be able to provide a homestay for you, even if you don't take the classes. Okay. Um, and I had one more. Um, when I was in the Peace Corps, we were on a very tight budget, and I couldn't travel everywhere I wanted to in Nicaragua. I'd like to go to Salentaname and down Rio San Juan, we made it all the way to Bluefields, didn't get to Corn Island, and I'd like to go to Puerto Cabezas. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is it worth the trip? Oh, absolutely. Um, Bluefields isn't uh, all that special, but the islands are beautiful. Uh, they're definitely worth the short flight out there. A ticket from Manawa to Corn Island is about $100 round trip. Great. And the beaches are gorgeous out there, and the lifestyle is, is pretty uh, laid back. For the Rio San Juan, the biggest issue there is the price of gasoline for renting boats going down the river. It's a great trip, definitely worth it, and one of the better adventures for a person like yourself that's interested in something a little off the beaten track. It's going to be a little more expensive, though. Uh, you'll have to negotiate a deal with the boat owners that will take you down the river. Okay. Deborah, good luck on your trip. Very adventurous trips. I think you'll enjoy them. Thanks very much. Thanks for your call. I'm talking with uh, Randall Wood, by the way, the author of The Moon Guide to Nicaragua. And, uh, Randall, can I say Nicaragua instead of uh, Nicaragua? Absolutely. Is that how the local people would pronounce their country? Well, they would say Nicaragua as best as I can uh, imitate in Nicaragua. My, my lame gringo accent. Let's, um, let's give people a general uh, lay of the land here. You've got the big city on the Pacific Ocean, basically, and then there's more of a black Caribbean culture on the west, isn't there? Absolutely. In fact, their primary English language is English, not Spanish. On the East Coast? On the East Coast, the Caribbean. And that's descendants of black slaves, is that right? That's correct. It, it was the, Mesquite, the, Mesquitia was, uh, the Mosquitia was a British colony until the mid-1800s. And uh, the rest of the uh, country ethnically is generally what? Uh, they call themselves mestizo, so Spanish origin. Spanish, and would that be European mixed with Indian blood? Exactly. So it's not really um, pre-Columbian Indian-type people, but it is Mexican mixed uh, European and Indian. That's correct. There are pre-Columbian people in the Northeast. They're the Sumu and the Rama and the Miskito people. Uh, they, they maintain their own languages to this date, but they tend to keep to themselves. It's a little hard to get out to, to meet them. Is Bluefields the major town in the um, Caribbean coast? That's correct. Bluefields is in the southeast on the Caribbean. There's also uh, Puerto Cabezas in the northeast, which is a little smaller, uh, not quite as busy. Now, they've been hit by... Talk about the natural disasters. We had the horrible uh, Hurricane Mitch and a terrible uh, earthquake, right? And some mudslides. What, what's the recent history on natural disasters for Nicaragua? Well, Hurricane Mitch was the big one. That was October of 1998. Uh, I happened to be there for it out in the countryside. 
Um, but the other big one was the earthquake that leveled the capital city of Managua in 1972. And to a certain degree, Managua's never quite recovered from that earthquake. But statistically, there's a major natural disaster there about once every seven years, whether it's a hurricane or an earthquake or a mudslide or something. Didn't they lose just th- tens of thousands of people in a mudslide recently, or was that... That was during Hurricane Mitch. I think it was uh, 9,000 people. Yeah, tra- a, a real tragedy. They've built a monument there. When you go to Managua, uh, I believe it's like a two-story city, isn't it? It's like a million people, and it's uh, there's no no tall buildings. With very few exceptions, it's actually a one-story building. A one-story uh, building. I remember uh, when I was there, the two big buildings were the, uh, what was it, the big uh, International Bank and the Intercontinental Hotel? Yeah, it's changed a little bit since then. There's some uh, tall construction moving back into the capital with this new uh, economic boom. Do they still have the pre-earthquake landmarks? I remember they would say, just past this or that building or that bridge, and they were gone because of the earthquake. Yeah, your memory is good, Rick. Uh, but I was, for some reason, in a city with no street names, and so you have to reference places by a landmark and then uh, some driving directions from there. And the landmarks are gone, so they kind of assume you're there before the earthquake. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, they're very friendly people. They assume that everyone knows the same landmarks they do. There's really no street names? There are really no street names. It's, it's uh, a million people. Yeah, uh, more than that. Wow. More than that. Hey, quickly, uh, uh, Randall, review with me these sort of uh, destinations or these tourist concerns. Uh, tell us about the Mosquito Coast. What is that? That's the Atlantic Coast, the Caribbean Coast. It's uh, culturally a little different, basically a safe place, a little harder to get to, but very exciting. Okay, so if you want diversity ethnically, you'd go to the Mosquito Coast. That's where you get the Black Caribbean, uh, former slave kind of uh, society. As well as and, some very good snorkeling. And a good snorkeling, and they speak uh, pidgin English there or whatever? They do. Compare the beaches. If you're looking for beaches on the Pacific versus the Caribbean. Well, on the Caribbean, you're going to wind up on one of the two islands, Corn Island or Little Corn Island, and they're both white sand, beautiful Caribbean beaches. Um, the beaches on the Pacific shore are different just because it's a, it's a different ocean. Uh, the Pacific has bigger waves. You wind up with some beaches that are white sand, some that are black sand, volcanic. Um, there's good surfing there as well. Uh, talk about volcanoes, and, and what is volcano surfing? Volcanoes. Well, it's a volcanic country. There's a, a, a range of volcanoes that sort of goes down the western side of it, called the Maribios. There's at least a dozen volcanoes that you can climb. Each one has its own characteristics, its own feel. Um, some of them are more difficult than others, but there are several places now where a local sort of ecotourism industry has developed. They will help you get up the, up the mountain with a snowboard and then send you down. Uh, it's like a snowboarding, except you're on sort of a, a loose volcanic gravel. So it's just this soft kind of pumice kind of... D- uh... Exactly, exactly. Oh, that a little, sounds... little on the hot side because it's black, but it's very exciting and very fast. We'll continue with Randall Wood, author of The Moon Handbook to Nicaragua, and your calls coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Γεια σας. Είμαι η Πένι από τους Δελφούς και ταξιδεύω με τον Rick Steves. That was Greek. I'm Penny Kolomvotsu from Delphi, and I'm traveling with Rick Steves. We're exploring one of Latin America's least visited but most fascinating and rewarding countries, Feisty Nicaragua. That's our topic today on Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Randall Wood, and Randall is the author of The Moon Handbook to Nicaragua. Randy, thanks for joining us. You know, when we think about going to Central America, a lot of people are thinking about the dense jungle and getting into the canopies and so on. And and I know in Costa Rica, a very popular thing are these canopy tours. Can you do that in Nicaragua also? Actually, Rick, there's a couple of good canopy tours, and there's more popping up every day in Nicaragua. There's uh, one good one right outside of San Juan del Sur called The Flying Frog. And there's a couple others around Granada, both of which are very popular tourist destinations. So describe a canopy tour. What, what exactly is that? Well, you know, the first time I went on one, I kind of thought it was going to be a walk uh, across these sort of elevated platforms through the canopy, and uh, that's not at all what it is. So first of all, for those of us who live uh, outside of the jungle, you have this sort of ecosystem that's up in the top of the trees, actually, the canopy, right? That's correct. Uh, these trees are so tall that there's actually a, a whole nother... Uh, platform of life sort of above our heads. Wow. And the uh, 
the supposed idea of these canopy tours is to get up there and, and take a look at it. That doesn't seem to be the way they work out in practice. Uh, you do get up into the canopies, but they, they strap you onto cables with a harness, and you get the sort of zip line through them. So you're not walking on elevated uh, wooden walkways, but you are zipping along on a, on a pulley. That's correct. It's very fun. Is it fast, so fast you don't even know what you're going by? No, it's not that fast. Actually, you, you have a lot of control over how, how fast you do go. Wow, so you can speed up and slow down and take your time and smell the whatever the flowers are? <laughs> the orchids, probably, yeah. Smell you the can, orchids. You can do all those things. What kind of wildlife would you see zipping slowly through the canopies of Nicaragua? I guess if you're fasting, if you're uh, zipping quickly enough, you won't see much of anything. But if you go slowly. Uh, that's the challenge. There's uh, all sorts of bird life down there. Nicaragua is on the corridor between North and South America, and so most animals pass through at one point or another. Lots of bird life, even some exotic stuff. They've got parrots and parakeets. I'm not sure how much you'll see as you go whizzing through it on these cables, but there's an awful lot of it out there. Do you do something like that simply on your own, or do you have a guide that takes you and teaches you as you go? No, there's, there's a guide, absolutely. And they're, uh, they're trained safety instructors as well, too. So their job is to make sure that you're doing things well and that you won't hurt yourself. So when, when somebody's going to Nicaragua, there's not famous um, you know, art galleries and museums and architecture to see. So your guidebook has to give people an insight into the natural world and the culture and so on, I would think, more than to a lot of destinations. Talk about some of the um, um, adventurous activities you can do. We've already talked about surfing down the sides of the volcanoes with a, like a snowboard on shale, right? Mm-hmm. And we're zipping through the jungle on a canopy tour. What else would there be in the way of active uh, adventure kind of sports? Well, uh, besides uh, zipping down the volcanoes, there's a a number of interesting hikes that go up and down volcanoes. There's an awful lot of water sports involved uh, with uh, Cosibolca Lake, Lake Nicaragua. You can uh, rent small boats there or go kayaking. What about Uh, river rafting? Any river rafting? There's quite a bit of river rafting, actually, but it's not uh, packaged tourism yet, so Mm -hmm. you have to be rather self-contained on that activity. That's, that's coming, but you can do a little bit of river rafting um, on the island of Ometepe. Uh, actually, it's not a river. It's, it's in an uh, estuary, but there's some interesting activity up there, too. Talk about uh, snorkeling. I, you mentioned the Corn Islands. That's on the Caribbean side, right? Yeah, they're in the Caribbean. Um, there are several kilometers of, of decent reef out there. You can, um, you can uh, hire a boat to take you out there, and you can drift along the, the reef and do some snorkeling that way. And there's uh, one or two dive shops that have popped up, and there's a growing interest in uh, you know professional divers going out there and, and swimming alongside the reefs that way. Now, this is the, the Corn Islands. I couldn't find it for a minute, and then I realized, oh, it's Isla del Mays. There you go. Isla del Mays, the island of corn. And that's a long ways off the coast. Do you, do you fly out there? Yeah, there's two ways to get there. One is via a short flight from Bluefield. That's about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bluefields being on the Atlantic coast, or there are direct flights from Managua. That's about $100 round trip and a little shy of an hour to get out to the Corn And are there funky little chalet, uh, cabins you can stay at or fancy resorts on the Corn Islands? There's a little of both. Uh, maybe not resorts, but there's certainly a higher level right. uh, of hotel being built out there now, but you can equally find a grass hut and sleep in the sand out there. Now, people go to Belize for the uh, snorkeling and the great coral uh, sightseeing. Uh, would you say the island of uh, corn would compete with Belize? No, I wouldn't say it's as good as Belize, but right. it's an interesting activity to include in a, in a, a package or an It itinerary. sounds like a, just a, another way to give a little more dimension to your Nicaragua experience. It's another way, yeah, sure, it's another way to experience it. We mentioned Nicaragua is the lowest country in Central America. We think of Panama, you know, for the canal and so on, but the Isthmus of Panama is the narrowest, but not necessarily the lowest. Now, Nicaragua is a lot wider, but apparently it's so low, and there's that big lake, and historically they were actually almost going to cut the canal through Nicaragua, weren't they? They thought about it for a long time. Actually, I visited the Panama Canal, and they went to the museum there and was surprised to find a lot of maps of Nicaragua, but early attention was paid to Nicaragua because the river connects to the lake, which just about reaches the Pacific coast. So you've got water going just about all the way through, and it would have been a matter of just sort of uh, perforating that last section. Hmm. Uh, There's an interesting story behind it. About the time that the engineers were deciding whether or not they would go through Nicaragua or through Panama, the Nicaraguans had the misfortune of publishing a postage stamp with a picture of a volcano on it, and a couple of lobbyists got hold of that and uh, pointed out, look, this is a volcanic country. We can't be building canals in volcanic countries. They're too dangerous. 
And at the same time, there's an arch in Panama that has stood for several hundred years, and they took this as a, a symbol of relative geographic stability. And uh, I think with some careful lobbying, uh, Nicaragua lost out on that one. It's a real shame. That would have changed the whole uh, sort of makeup economically and politically of the region, I think. It would have changed all of Central America, I'm sure of it. Coffee plantations, is that still a big part of the economy? Coffee is the number one export, absolutely. Um, Nicaragua seems to do better when coffee prices are high and not quite as well when coffee prices are low. If you're there in November and December and you're creative, you can even work your way onto a coffee plantation and and help uh, pick part of the harvest, which is something that you can't do many other places. And how's the rum? The rum is excellent and not very expensive. Do they have a political name for it, like they got Cuba Libres? Oh, they do have Nica Libres. It's funny you should mention it. That's a rum and coke with a little bit of li- uh, lime in it. A Nica a, Libre. Somewhat of a, a national drink, sure. It celebrates the revolution of 1979. Do you betray your politics if you call it a Nica Libre? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Would, a, would, a, concert, them, would, a, would a Samosa supporter call it a, a, a Nica Libre? Politics are funny in Nicaragua. You find people on both sides of the fence, but when it comes time to sit down and enjoy a meal together... Politics go by the wayside. Wow. I think you could find people from all different political persuasions that are happy to enjoy each other's company for a meal or a drink. Wow. Well, now, when I was in Nicaragua driving through the countryside, I remember coming into a little village, and there was a mound, a tiny little hill outside of the village, and the boys in the village had actually shot down some kind of American airplane and they had in the back in the Civil War and they literally carried this plane. It was like a pot shot, a rifle got brought down the airplane and uh, incredible luck for them and they or, or lack of luck for the people in the plane and they carried that plane to the top of this little hill and they put it there like a trophy and it was the pride and joy of this town. Did you ever encounter that? It's funny you should mention it. That's the town of Condega. And when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, my site was only seven kilometers from there. So wow. I went by that plane just about every day. Now, as, it's, it's still a source of pride. As an American going by that town, even today, 15 years after the uh, Civil War and so on, do you sense, uh, what's the feeling of an American? Because there's, America was split on this whole Sandinista-Contra thing. Uh, are, are Americans feeling comfortable in Nicaragua? You know, that was one of my concerns in 1998 when I went down there. I mean, America has had a very strong influence on the politics down there for for centuries. And I was wondering how I'd be received as an American. And um, I was pleased to find out that the Nicaraguan people are able to distinguish between the government and the people. And so while they might not agree with American politics, they're very happy to uh, do business with American people, and, and they can draw a clear line between the two. Hmm. I think that's the case all over the world. Um, you know, when I was there, I was so impressed by the spirit of the people, and this was the revolutionary sort of Sandinista movement. Uh, I got to meet Daniel Ortega, and it was just, there was something special about Nicaragua, and they were, like, idealistic. There was no women allowed in, in advertising billboards because they thought that was insulting to women's bodies. Everybody had uh, was literate, and, uh, you know, it was all of these sort of uh, socialistic ideals. Today, obviously, it's a different age, and they've got more of a right-wing government, I would imagine. Do the people still have that spirit that was, I think, so unique to Nicaragua? Well, Rick, one of the things that we try to bring out in this travel guidebook is how amazing these people are and how worth it is to try to get to know them. That spirit definitely is a a real draw to the country. It's very palpable. Um, The politics have changed, obviously, but the Nicaraguan Revolution has left a very clear stamp on the society. Women have more rights in Nicaragua than they do elsewhere in Latin America. Uh, it's a more literate society than other countries in Latin America. There's a lot of uh, poets and authors and so on. This is all very clearly the, the legacy of the Sandinista Revolution. Didn't they have poets in their, in their um, defense department, and it was just a, a, a government run by uh, playwrights and poets and idealists? The Sandinistas were a government that wanted to do things differently. Right. Now, are there still revolutionary murals in the country? Or I was in El Salvador recently, and there's no more revolutionary murals, even though there is a revolutionary spirit in the people. They have to portray themselves as people of the corn, I guess. There are still some murals, but not many. Um, In the capital itself, one of the former mayors went on a crusade and basically painted over everything that seemed revolutionary just to sort of put it in the history. Right. Uh, But up in Esteli, there's still a mural painting school where Nicaraguans learn uh, actually the art of mural making. It's it's growing in renown. Wow. And do Nicaraguans still like baseball? They love baseball. You can find people that enjoy soccer as well, but baseball is clearly still very much the king down there. Fun opportunity for an American traveler in any village. I would imagine you'd find people playing stickball. That's sure. That's absolutely right. right. You know, if you're 
interested in participating, they're, they're typically more than happy to have you join. Now, the nickname of the people, they call themselves Nika? They call themselves Nikas, yep. And Nikas. they also call themselves Pinoleros, which is a reference to a drink called Pinol, based on corn, which they're fond of. Okay, and what, what, are, what is the Nika nickname for a, an American? Well, it's funny you should mention it. Um, we do get called gringos once in a while, but it's, uh, it's not necessarily a pejorative. They call us uh, cheles a lot, which means pale-skinned. And um, I was on the point, I guess, of being offended by someone that I thought was calling me Chile when I realized he wasn't speaking to me at all. They used the word equally for their pale-skinned and sometimes not-so-pale-skinned uh, colleagues. Okay. So it's, uh, there's, there's no, there's no uh, harm to be taken. And uh, you, the gringo, Randall Wood, met the Nika, and uh, you're living, it sounds like, pretty happily, half-time in Nicaragua and half-time in Washington, D.C., that's right. We try to get down as often as we can. Fortunately, there's a lot of reasons between birthday parties and marriages and all sorts of stuff. We divide our time up. That probably gives you a very good insight into the culture to make your guidebook even better. Well, I hope so. Talk to me now just about the rudiments of travel. I'm talking with Randall, uh, Randall Wood here, who writes the Moon Guidebook to Nicaragua. What about you know visa concerns, passports? What do you need to get into Nicaragua? Most people can get into Nicaragua with nothing more than a passport that's still valid for six months. Okay. And uh, you can get your tourist visa at the airport when you arrive. No problem uh, with that. Right? No, no problems at all. It costs $5. It's good for three months. Language barriers. Uh, Spanish going to be your best language, I suppose? It sure is. Uh, you can get by in other countries without Spanish, but in Nicaragua you still really do need to know enough Spanish to get around. Not enough tourism there to, to give people a big reason to learn English, I guess. That's changing, and there's certainly a lot of students in school learning English, but you're not at the point where you can just hop off the plane. Now let's say I want to get around from Managua up to uh, Matagalpa or over to Bluefields. Are there cheap bus rides that anybody can just hop on with the locals for just a couple of dollars? I always talk to my friends here about that because it's so frustrating to live in the United States and be confined by a real lack of public transportation. I point out that in Nicaragua you can pretty much go door to door on public transportation. It doesn't matter which two doors they are. So that's what my feeling is in a lot of countries in the developing world. You want to go from any point to any point. There's a bus leaving at almost any hour, and it just costs a few dollars. And probably not a comfortable bus, but you can get there. But uh, probably a a memorable experience, I'd say. Absolutely. The bulk of the travel system are sort of old school buses that have come down from the United States. Those old yellow uh, bluebird school buses, you ever wonder what happened to them? I was fascinated by that. I've noticed in Nicaragua. Nicaragua that they're not painted yellow anymore, but you can actually read under the new paint job what school district the school bus did in its uh, American life, and now it sends down south, and uh, young and old are getting around in Nicaragua with old, uh, what, what's, what's the brand of school bus? Probably Bluebirds. Bluebird bus. In fact, buses. there's a friend of mine who was traveling around in Nicaragua and recognized a bus from her hometown. Wow. So what wow. are the odds, right? Yeah. And uh, a few more practical things. Uh, changing money, or can you use your ATM card? Uh, you can probably, you can, yeah, there's a growing number of ATM machines where you can, uh, you can uh, withdraw money. So do you want to have your cash before you leave Managua? Is that the idea? You're certainly better off in Managua. There's no doubt about that. So don't go into the countryside without some cash in your money belt. Right. Traveler's checks you can take down, too. Uh, most major banks will change them. They're not happy about it, but they can do it. Um, Dollars work better than euros or other foreign currencies. And let's say I fly into town and I've got your guidebook and I'm on a budget, but I want to be safe and comfortable. What am I going to spend in the big capital city for a hotel room double? Uh, You can go anywhere from, say, $8 or even a little lower, depending on how much comfort you need, up to 100 There's a growing number of five-star hotels that service the business community. Yeah, but forget that. Let's say I just want a guest house that's going to be safe and comfortable. Can I find something for 30 bucks for me you and sure my You sure can, and you wife? can probably even do a little bit better than that. And then I go down and I want a nice restaurant that's not, not a hotel restaurant, but one that would uh, keep a, a tourist comfortable and well-fed. Happy and healthy. Yeah, what would I pay for dinner? Dinner can be anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 $20, and uh, sometimes even less than that. Of course, there's huge business of uh, Americans going to the west coast of Mexico and Cancun and, and Costa Rica and so on. Are there any Cancun-type resorts in the works in Nicaragua? Do they want to go that way? They, they definitely do want to go that way. Um, the big tourist attraction is in the southwest. It's called San Juan del Sur. It's actually uh, a town that was popular during the gold rush. Clipper ships used to sail out of there up to California and the Yukon. These days, it's sort of transitioning from a sleepy little uh, fishing village to something a lot more exciting. There's a growing amount of interest in tourism there, but a growing number of retirees, too, that are looking at that area, uh, some beautiful beachfront properties, is an interesting place to spend their retirement years. Norte Americanos are actually retiring in Nicaragua now? 
It's just begun. This is a movement that started around three or four years ago, but it's blown up into something bigger than that. Because that's a big deal in Costa Rica and Panama, I think, and even Honduras. Well, I think the planners in Nicaragua have looked at the amount of revenue that Costa Rica has been able to bring in through this business model and and realized that they have beaches that are every bit as good and uh, quite a bit more deserted. I think they've decided they're going to give it a try, too. And you've researched and written a new book, I understand, on retiring in Nicaragua. Yeah, Rick. It's called Living Abroad in Nicaragua. It's also published by Avalon Travel Publishing. I've got an email from Ron in Irvine, California. Uh, Ron writes, My mother uh, owns a resort in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, where you just mentioned, and she's been there for more than 10 years. Uh, Ron's visited four times, and he's going again this month. It's a fantastic place that's no more dangerous than anywhere else, probably less than most. So uh, this is a place that more and more Americans are finding out about, this San Juan del Sur on the southwest coast of Nicaragua. Janice in Walnut Creek, California, writes, My father was Nicaraguan. I spent many childhood and teenage summers in this beautiful and diverse country. The people are some of the most friendly I've ever met. Where else can you see an active volcano, swim in fresh water with sharks, see the rainforest with howler monkeys, and lodge on a river island uh, surrounded by crocodiles all in the same day? This country is to be seen before it really gets discovered. Whoa, Janice, what's the deal there, Randall? Well, there's a, a unique uh, species of shark that was seen for a long time in uh, Cosibolca Lake, Nicaragua, Lake Nicaragua, which is the, the larger of the two lakes. Uh, somewhat of, a, of an ecological anomaly. They do equally well in the ocean and in the lake, uh, and, and uh, quite a bit of scientific dispute over how they got that way. And they don't eat gringos? Uh, they haven't eaten me. Randall Wood, the author of the Moon Handbook to Nicaragua. Randall, thanks so much for the information. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show. Best wishes with your continued travels and with your guidebooks. Thank you very much. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback, archived audio on demand, and podcast extras. It's in the radio section at our website, ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.